well this morning. Um, I want to start off before I get into the title and the introduction of the lesson this morning uh, by asking him to turn to the book of Genesis, the uh, 30th, uh, the 30th chapter. And uh, this is the uh, story of Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. Now, if you remember, uh, Jacob um, was uh, a man of God. Um, he went into um, Canaan, if you well, not Canaan, but he went into the um, the countryside, if you will, um, because he fled from his brother Esau. Now, Esau, even though he nest, even though he would wind up forgiving and reconciling with with Jacob later on. Um, originally, Jacob and Esau, who were brothers, actually they were uh, twins, not identical twins, but uh, what's that? Maternal twins, paternal twins. Yes. So they they were. Completely different. One was a hairy, muscular guy. Um, the other was, well, not hairy and muscular, as we know. Um, but in any case, uh, Jacob <clears throat> uh, went to, uh, as he escaped from his brother, he came across a family of Laban. Laban had two daughters, the oldest of which was Leah, and one of the other daughters was Rachel. Now Jacob was smitten with Rachel. And so Laban said, in order for you to, in order for me to give my daughter Rachel to you in marriage, um, you must serve me. And he served him. And then later on, uh, Laban said, well, my oldest daughter doesn't have a husband. So if you want to marry Rachel, you got to take her as a wife too. So he wound up marrying both Rachel and Leah. Now Leah bear him a bunch of different children. Um, but the promise um, was through a man that we'll, that we'll find out here. Um, the one that was supposed to be the deliverer, um, if you will, uh, was to be born through Rachel. And uh, if you have your Bibles in Genesis, the 30th chapter, um, it says that when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob, no children. Rachel, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, Am I in God's stead who hath withheld from thee the fruit of thy womb? And she said, Behold, my maid Bilhah, go in unto her and she shall bear upon my knees that I may also have children by her. And she gave him Belhah, her handmaid, to wife, and Jacob went in, to, went in unto her. Now you have to understand the, um, the dynamics of, of this type of um, societal marriage relationship. We would probably look down on it in the 21st century in the United States of America. You're right. Um, but this was a societal norm. This was built, born out of necessity. Because in large part, um, all the work had to be done. Um, there, there wasn't, uh, um, there wasn't, you know, refrigerators. I mean, they, they had to raise animals. They had to be subsistence. Uh, they had to sustain themselves, if you will, with the, 
um, with hard work and sweat and blood and tears, and that requires human beings. That requires human capital. Not only that, um, the Hebrews at this time were, they did not have a country, so they were nomadic in nature. So they were just going from place to place to place, trying to find fertile ground to grow fruits, vegetables, and animals to sustain their families. So you, you have to understand that it was, it was not a harem in any way, shape, or form. Um, that's not what the relationship between a man and a wife, and certainly as we see here with Rachel giving Jacob her handmaiden, it was about raising heirs or continuing a lineage, a, a Hebrew lineage, um, because the blessings that were given by God normally went through the male of the of the family. Now there are a few um, different uh, circumstances or different occasions where that was not the case, as we can see in the first chapter of the book of Matthew, where it talks about. Um, and I'll we can flip over here just for those who are taking notes. Sorry, I'm, I have my mask down just so everyone can hear. Um, if you, uh, you know, look in the uh, first chapter of the book of Matthew, that all of the, the genealogy, if you will, of the Christ, Jesus, um, follows the genealogy of... Um, there is a, a man there. Um, but there is one slight exception to that. Um, in verse 5 of Matthew, the first chapter, you see a woman by the name of Ruth. And it says, And Boaz beget Obed of Ruth. Um, and uh, she's probably the, as, and you can read through this and, and test this for yourself. Um, but Ruth was, aside from Mary, if you will, in the 16th verse, those are the only two women that are noted um, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Um, why is that? Well, again, historically, the blessing was passed on from male to male to male, and that's really what Ruth, excuse me, Rachel was hoping to provide to her husband was a male from their marriage bond. Mm -hmm. But Ruth was exceptional. Ruth was not a Hebrew. She was a uh, she was a woman of, uh, from, uh, I was going to say Palestine, um, but she was a Philistine woman. But she was a convert. But she was a woman of great faith. But she was a woman who loved with a love of self-sacrifice. And then when we get to the 16th verse of Matthew, the first chapter, we read of Mary, um, as the angel went to her and told her about her pending pregnancy, uh, the angel said to her that she would be blessed among women. And because of her faith, because of her love of self-sacrifice, um, she was chosen by God to be the maternal, the maternal vehicle, if you will, uh, of bearing the only begotten Son of God, Jesus the Christ. But I digress. Going back to Genesis, the 30th chapter, in verse number 22, and then I'll get to the introduction and the title of the lesson. Um, it says, And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. 
And she conceived and bare a son and said, God had taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. And um, as at, well, let's continue reading on. And it came to pass when Rachel had borne Joseph that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away that I may go unto mine own place and my country. Give me my wives and my children, for whom I have served thee, and let me go, for thou knowest my service which I have done, um, done thee. And obviously Laban knew that he was a man of God, and because he was a man of God, Laban's um, business enterprise, if you will, in this case was sheep and, and lambs and other livestock, was being blessed because Jacob was in his house. And Laban knew that. He knew that very well. So Laban went about a, you know, as it says, my study Bible says trickery. Um, but I would say it's, it's logic. He, he wordsmithed his way to, uh, to ask Jacob to, to hang around a bit um, because he knew that uh, he was a man blessed by God. Eventually, in chapter 31, um, he was able to take his portion and separate from Laban. Why do I talk about this? Um, because if you, if you continue on, <clears throat> in the book of Genesis, and we get to the 37th chapter. Um, we read also about how Joseph was preferred by his father more than his other sons. And I've heard it said before that uh, that's not righteous. That was a that was a mistake, uh, a miscalculation on on Jacob's part that he preferred his son over his son Joseph over his other sons. You know he was playing favorites. Um, how is it that or why is it that uh, you know even going further back, let's say um, that uh, Rebecca, you know. Even though Jacob's, even though God said that Jacob would would continue on the blessing of the promise given to Abraham, um, Rebecca took did something devious, did she not? Mm -hmm. She devised a plan to take the blessing away from her eldest son Esau and give it to Jacob. And some may say that's that's not right. That's a dirty pool, as they say, right? That's that's not. Uh, that's not sound, that's not righteous. Why would a, um, a woman um, of God, if you will, be that underhanded? And then we get to, to Joseph and we, we read about, um, again, Jacob and his preferential treatment of his, of his son Joseph in that he was given a coat of multiple colors, mm -hmm. kind of put in a target on his back. Why would Jacob do that? And I would tell you that um, and this is really getting into the introduction, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to the, the title lesson this morning, is that uh, God's providence, God's will, um, goes beyond our understanding and our comprehension. 
Um, there are moments in life we can we can take, and Brother Marzette says this all the time, and I think this is a, a fitting way to kind of introduce the topic of the lesson this morning, which is we have a propensity to take the S-O-M-E of the picture, the, the grand plan. Um, you know, we have a tendency to look at the finite detail of a, a long novel and use that to judge the novel itself. Right? We, we take the S-O-M-E of the Scripture and we don't take the sum of the Scripture. The sum of the Scripture is this. That God's will will always be done. Regardless of what you do, regardless of what I do. We are merely, um, I wouldn't say pawns because that would undervalue our, our importance to God. We are not just pawns. Um, we are tools of righteousness for God. Now, there are also tools of unrighteousness, and they also have their purpose in God's plan. Mm -hmm. Just as Pharaoh had his purpose in God's plan, and as we'll find out with the story of Joseph, how famine, you know, and, and we're talking about a famine that killed mm -hmm. or that led to the death of women and children. And you may say, how is that right? How is that good thing? How, is, how can there be, let's say, to the 10th degree, how can we say that there is a loving God who would allow His own people to starve and die? Well, because you're just taking the SOME of God's ultimate plan and not taking the, the entire sum. There's a catch to that. We have the benefit of hindsight. We have the benefit of the Scripture to be able to see the grand scheme, the grand scope of all the things that have occurred. I say all that to say this, that I've read through the Old Testament many times, and there are a couple of characters in the Old Testament I thought, that was unfair. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was entirely unfair. Jonathan was a victim of circumstance. Mm -hmm. Jonathan was the son of Saul. He was the rightful king or the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. But because of his father's misdeeds, he suffered. He actually, God had told, sorry, um, God through, what was it, Samuel had told Saul that your sons are going to die. Mm -hmm. You and all of your, your lineage are going to die. They're going to perish. Jonathan was a, a good kid. He loved David. They had, a, they had a very tight bond between the two. And I, I read about what happened to Jonathan, how he was killed in battle. And I think, was that fair? What about Esau? He was just hungry. <laughs> how many times have you let your, your lips flow in air? Right? But in this particular case, God held him accountable for that, for that just slightness of tongue. Was that fair? Mm -hmm. Was that fair that Joseph, who was a good kid, he just happened to receive a gift from his father, and that really kicked off mm -hmm. the, the jealous nature of the other 12 brothers, mm -hmm. right? 
that ultimately led him to being sold into uh, to bondage and then finding his way to his uh, excuse me Egypt. Was that fair? Continue to read on in the book of Genesis about Joseph, how he went to he was sold into bondage. Right. The Egyptian Pharaoh said, hey, you're a smart guy. I want you to help me out with my finances. He was a he was a humble servant. And then what happens? He marries. And I'm talking about uh, Pharaoh. He marries what? Uh, well, they call they they call it Potiphar's wife, who is Pharaoh at the time. But she didn't like him. Did she? She thought that it shouldn't be this dirty Hebrew who is in control of my husband's finances. It should be one of my sons. And it wasn't, and it was Potiphar's wife, right? So Potiphar's wife already had children, not from Pharaoh, but from Potiphar. And she wanted to advance her son over, over Joseph. So she developed a scheme to get him thrown into prison. And while he's in prison, right? There is another guy who's in prison, the baker of Pharaoh. Right? And he helps the baker, the, the potter, the, the, you know, as the old nursery rhyme goes, right? He helps those individuals get out of prison. And, he, and those guys say, hey, Joseph, we'll remember you. They don't remember him at all. They forget about Joseph. And he languishes in prison, as, as some will say, for another 10 years. Was that fair? When he gets out of prison because he's able to interpret dreams, at that point, one of the, uh, one of the cooks was like, oh, I know a guy in prison. He knows how to translate, translate dreams. He gets out of prison. He's reestablished as the Pharaoh's right-hand man. And then he dies. And then we get into Exodus, the first chapter, where it says that after Joseph had died, the Pharaoh forgot about the legacy of Joseph and looked back at the Hebrews as old, dirty. They, they just, they're sucking up all the resources. There's so many of them. They multiply like buddies. I didn't say it. The book of Hebrews says that, right? It says that their women um, were, um, were healthy in the sense that they were fertile and they gave birth to many children. And because of Pharaoh's not remembering the legacy of Joseph, as it says, he said, we need to develop a scheme to oppress these people unless they rise up mm -hmm. and overcome us. Right. Was that fair? Mm -hmm. Now, if we look at the SOME of the scripture, not the totality, the sum, the, the grand, um, you know, I guess, scheme of things, you would say that all of those individual events in time are not fair. And I, I say this to say, uh, to get to the title of the lesson, that life is not meant to be fair to you. Yes. Think about, for a second, all of those circumstances that happen to the, the individuals that I just mentioned in, in uh, the Old Testament Scripture. And put yourself in those individual shoes. Would you curse God and die? Mm. Now you know where I'm going next. Mm -hmm. 
So let's turn over to the book of Job. Job was a well-to-do man, prosperous man, prosperous family, had sons and wives and, and all of these things. And because of his blessing, as it says in Job, the first chapter and verse number five, it says that, uh, um, and it was so when the days of their feasting was, um, and actually, let me, let me read. Let me go back. Because uh, I, I do want to read verse number three of Job, the first chapter. It says, His substance also was 7,000 sheep, mm -hmm. 3,000 camels, mm -hmm. 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, you, if you've kind of honed in on this. He was the greatest of all the men of the East. This, he was the Bill Gates of his time. And it says in verse number four, And his sons went, out, went and feasted in their houses, everyone his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with him. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. He, he took his seven sons and his three daughters, all ten of his kids, and he made peace offerings to God, burnt offerings, as it says, to God for each and every one of them. He was, he, he, he wanted to thank God for what he had done for him, mm -hmm. certainly by blessing him with ten beautiful children. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Mm -hmm. You know what Job was, was trying to do? Mm -hmm. It's kind of what we all have done. I don't know if you've done this. Mm -hmm. I certainly have. I take a look at my three kids, my lovely wife, and you take stock, right? Mm -hmm. you, you think... Uh, Sister Bill was just talking about this last time I was at her house. She's, I'm truly blessed. I'm 90 or 91. My husband's going to be 91 um, this year. We sound mind and body. Um, yes, we've buried some children, but God has been abundantly good to us. Mm -hmm. And you start to take stock, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know... I, I do this too, which is I hope my children appreciate God's blessings to the extent that they don't speak as someone who is not appreciative because, you know, blessings come and go. Good times. Let me rephrase that. Good times come and go. Blessings continue to flow. They don't stop flowing as long as you're uh, in fellowship with God and, and in fellowship with Christ. They continue to flow. Amen. How those blessings come about, um, some are pleasant, some are not pleasant. But I digress. I apologize. Heather told me before I came this morning, I have to be succinct. So I'm going to strive to be. Good times, bad times come and go. We all know um, the scripture tells us those who live faithfully shall suffer persecution. It doesn't say 
you shall be unblessed, you'll still be blessed. Um, because, the what is it, the book of James says, count on all joy when you fall, fall into diverse temptations. Those temptations are a blessing um, once, uh, because it allows you to grow up on your faith and makes you stronger. That is a blessing. Right. So Job, here in verse number 5, he said, in essence what he's saying is he went to God to give these burnt offerings because... He wanted to make sure, he was afraid that his sons and his daughters would not appreciate how special and how blessed their lives are. Mm -hmm. Satan also had this thought too. Mm -hmm. As we read on, Satan, and, and, and I'm not going to read it verbatim here because we're, I, I want to get through this and not keep you here too long. He said the only reason why, you know, uh, you know, God had asked all of us, you know, had asked, well, it says the sons of God presented themselves before the Almighty. Mm -hmm. Satan was amongst them. He asked, God um, asked Satan what he's been doing. Satan says, I've been up and down through this earth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job, who is, you know, righteous above all, who is stewess evil, etc., etc." And Satan, you know, as he is always inclined to do, is to look at the negative. Which is the only reason why Job is not, Job is being a faithful person, because you keep blessing him. Of course, he's going to be a faithful servant. God, knowing better than Satan, for obvious reasons, right? Because Satan is always consumed with the flesh. God says, okay, I will, well, Satan said, if you would allow me to take the, I bet you, if you take those things away, he would curse you to your face. And God, knowing better, said, I will allow it. Mm -hmm. Just don't take his life. Mm -hmm. So we, we get into verse number 13. Sorry, let's jump ahead to Job, the second chapter. I'll, I'll fill you in. So Satan gets permission. He goes out there and he does his thing. Right? He... Um, he touches every single person in Job's family. That just put goosebumps on the back of my neck. Just thinking about it. Can you imagine loving your ten children so much that after you did the family reunion every year, you took yourself apart from them and went straight to God and said, God, please, 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 please forgive my children of any sins they've committed against you. Right. He did that out of love. He loved them enough to do that. He didn't do that for himself. He did it for his kids. Yes. And then to have all ten of his children be touched in that way. In verse number 9, Job's wife said, Then said his wife unto him, Doest thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. And this is, this is really the, the, the premise of the lesson. Um, and I hope everyone gets it. Your life is not going to be roses all the time. No. 
It is not going to be comfortable all the time for the reasons that I've just mentioned. You know, we go through rough times, we go through challenges, it sharpens us, it makes us better Christians, if I can use that term loosely. And what I mean by better, it makes us more faithful. It, it improves the depth of our belief and our dedication to serve God when we go through rough times. It is absolutely necessary for us to go through tough times. Because as we see here in the book of Job, if we get spoiled with the good, then, then let me just put it to you this way. As they say, you know, if you eat sweets, what happens to your teeth? They rotten. They lose their integrity. So Job and his wife were going through a rough time. And Job's wife asked him, why do you keep your integrity? Just go ahead and curse God and die because you're going through a rough patch. Mm -hmm. And that's taking the S-O-M-E of God's plan, of His providence, of His will, of the grand scheme that He has for you in your life. You are going to go through some times where you're going to struggle. You, don't know, you may not know the reason why. You may have an inkling of the reason why. Um, as we'll read here in the book of Job, Job, as it says in chapter 3, it says that he cursed the day that he was born. He said, God, why did you bring me into this world only for me to suffer the way I'm suffering? And some of us have done the same thing. I know Sister Bill has. Maybe not publicly, but privately. You know, gone to, gone to God and said, God, why have you cursed me? Why, have, why, did you allow me? why did you allow this child to be born to me? For me to breastfeed it, to swaddle it, to care for it, only to take this child away from me. Why would you set me up for that type of failure, God? And that's what Job did. But I can guarantee you, as I'm looking at her in my peripheral vision right now, that at that moment, she could, not see, she could not see the overall picture, the overall scope of things. There was a reason. There was a reason. Maybe that particular instance was what she needed to prepare her for something that was to come later on in her life. Right. And maybe the same for you. Right. And we know full well, having read the book of Job, that this was absolutely necessary for Job to experience in his life at that moment to prepare him for what was going to come in the latter half or the latter portions of the book of Job. Job struggled with why, why, why? God, tell me why. I'm a righteous guy. Why would you curse me? His friends are telling him, listen, you're obviously a sinner because God only punishes people with, with bad things who are sinners. Did you catch what I just said here? How many times have you looked at others or looked at a circumstance in your life and automatically thought, I must obviously be doing something wrong. Or that person is a sinner. Otherwise, they wouldn't be going what they're going through. And the three friends that Job had basically went to Job and said, you need to repent to God 
for the sins that you committed because no good righteous man would have all of what you had and then have it all taken away. You're obviously a sinner. Job was like, I'm not a sinner. God helped me understand the latter portions of the book of Job. God taught him a lesson. Here's the lesson. Job, the 42nd chapter, in verse number 2, says, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden of from thee. Mm -hmm. And and I wish I could read through chapters 40 and 41. I, I really do not have the time at this moment to do it, but if you have an opportunity to read through Job, the 40th and the 40th verse, You'll see here that God is so infinite in His wisdom and knowledge. We can't... It is only through God's grace that He's given us this book to be able to understand a small piece of what God has in store for all of us. If we didn't have this book, we would be completely lost. It would be... And I, for those of you on the prayer line, I'm, I'm waving my hand over my head um, j- as a signal that we wouldn't be able to understand. It would be so far above us, just pass right over us. Mm-hmm. But in the 42nd chapter of the book of Job, he says in verse number three, Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto thee. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but not mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. And that's what he repented to God for. Is taking, looking at a small finite circumstance in his life, and making that the end-all, be-all of his relationship with God. Job repented in dust and ashes by saying, I tried to understand what you're doing in my life, God, and I tried to rationalize it and justify it, but obviously I am too small of a man to appreciate what you have in store for me in my life. Mm -hmm. And you know what happened? Mm -hmm. In verse number 12, it says, So the Lord blessed the latter end of of Job more than his beginning. Mm -hmm. He was already the greatest man of all the East. Mm -hmm. And he wound up getting even more So I go to the scripture reading this morning, Romans, the second chapter. It says, therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever art, whosoever thou art that judges, for wherein thou judgest another. Thou condemnest thyself, for thou, 
For thou that judgest doest the same things. Mm -hmm. And that's a lesson in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but you guys, it's very clear. We have a propensity as human beings mm -hmm. to make judgments of others mm -hmm. while we do the exact same thing. Wow. <laughs> okay? Amen. That person is obviously a bad person shame on them they're going to hell mm -hmm. and i turn around and i do the same thing maybe not what they did mm -hmm. but the same thing mm -hmm. that person's a really big liar but i'm a small liar mm -hmm. they steal millions of dollars i steal quarters Stealing is stealing. Lying is lying. Mm -hmm. That person has committed adultery, like physically laid down with somebody who is not their own. But I can look at them. They're bad, but I'm not. And I and I say that we you know that we know the scripture. It says the man who looks at a woman and lusteth after her in his with his eyes has, has committed adultery already Amen. in his heart. Thank you. So that's what Paul is saying here. Oh, therefore thou art inexcusable, O man. Mm -hmm. And I just want you to take that with you for a few moments. You are not perfect. You are not outside of judgment yourself. The same things that you, the, the same judgments, if you will, that you make on others, it's like a boomerang. It's going to come right back to you. Mm -hmm. God will bring it to bear. You know, when you're, he's going through the roll call of the good and the bad that you've done, he'll, he'll say, remember that time you said that about brother or sister or whomever? And then an hour later, Next second later, whatever the case may be, you were out there doing the same thing. So, if you thought she was bad, then you have already judged yourself based on the judgment that you rendered on that person. Oh, My job is done here. <laughs> Moving on to the next. Amen. It says in verse number two, But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Well, I just, just highlighted that. Um, or rather, you know, supported the scripture. The, the scripture is the highlight, not me. Um, verse number three. And thinkest thou that? And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Rhetorical question. Obviously not. Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing? that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. You didn't catch that. I'll read it again. Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Okay, let me let me let me add text to that. 
We all know that those who God loves, He chastens. Isn't God's love and thus His chastisement good? Yes, Absolutely. Don't you know that back in the Old Testament, if you had a slip of the tongue, that you would lose your birthright just simply for making a joke about a pot of lentils? Mm -hmm. Don't you know that back in the olden days that if you had said something and looked at something or did something that was untoward to God, you would be dead right then and there. That was it with God. Brother Marzette and I talk about this all the time. We marvel at all the people that did something just that we would maybe we think, wow, God would kill them just for doing that. God would allow them to wander the wilderness for 40 years for worshiping a golden calf. That seems a little harsh, God. But that was Jehovah in the Old Testament. Jehovah hasn't changed. But what but what has he done? It says through his goodness, his forbearance and his long suffering. When we do wrong, God chastens us, but he doesn't chasten us to the extent of what we saw in the Old Testament, does he? It's out of his goodness, his forbearance and his long suffering. It says not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. He's trying to get us to the point where we see the, the, uh, the error of our way and correct it. And that's what repentance is all about. Continuing on. But after thy hardness and impotent heart, treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. Mm -hmm. But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to, and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. Mm -hmm. So God dishes out good times mm -hmm. indiscriminately. He dishes out, I don't want to say he dishes out, but he allows us to struggle through or to persevere through bad times indiscriminately as well. You know, the, the, the book of Ecclesiastes says that, you know, rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. You can't just say because they're having a great day that, they're, that they are in good standing with God. Just as well as you can't say they're having a bad day and they're not in good standing with God. It's not about that. We don't want to be like Job's friends and look at Job and his unfortunate circumstances and say, that's a sinner. 
not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. What did Job need to repent of? I go back to that. Job needed to repent of the fact that he thought it goes back to my lesson last Lord's Day. Um, that everything has to be fair. Everything in your life has to be fair. Everything has to be fair. It's got to be fair. Justice, fairness, I need that. And I say that with emphasis because... You may be thinking the same thing. It is not fair. It's not fair that I have to go through this. It's not fair that, that this is happening to me. I'm a good person. I come to worship every day. I study my Bible. I come to Bible class. I pray. I, I, I help the poor. I do all of these great things. But why is this? Ugh, it's just not fair. And I'm saying with emotion because I've been there many times, as I'm sure all of us have. And if you haven't been, you will. Life is not meant to be fair. Fairness isn't a part of the equation. It's not meant to be a part of the equation. What's meant to be a part of the equation is what we just read um, in verse number 10. But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good. For that matter, what are you getting when you work good? You get glory and honor and peace, as we just read here, but what do you get? Verse number 7 says, this is what you get. To them who by patient continuance... In well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. That's what we should all be concerned with. That's what all, we should all be striving for. It is not about fairness. Because if you're thinking about fairness, you are focused on the S-O-M-E and not thinking about the S-U-M. How is it fair that I that I should count it all joy when I fall into diverse temptations. That doesn't, that doesn't compute with the human being, does it? Or with the flesh. Because that goes against fairness. God is not fair. He's righteous and He's good. If He was fair, then we would look back at God and waggle our finger at God for allowing Rebecca to do what she did. We go back and we'd wag our finger for allowing God to allow Jacob to do what he did. We would go back to God and we'd wag our finger, we'd wag our finger at, uh, at Pharaoh for doing what he did. We go back to God and we'd wag our finger and say, God, that wasn't right. That wasn't fair what you did to your servant Job by, by putting him in that type of situation. And what are we going to be doing? Now, I, I, hmm. 
I say that I wag my finger only for the purpose of this lesson, but I feel uncomfortable even doing that <laughs> just for the sake of this lesson. Because never one of us is above God. Never one of us can shake our fingers at God. Why can't we shake our fingers with God? Go back and read the first verse of Romans chapter 2. Oh, inexcusable man. How can you judge God or wag your finger at God and say that's not fair when you do unfair things every day of the week? You're not even fair. I'm not even fair. I'm not entirely equitable with my love, with my time, and my resources. So how dare I? Oh, unexcusable man. So the lesson is yours this morning. If you're here and you struggle, if you're going through some hard times, um, it's rough. It, it's painful. It's uncomfortable. It is, not, uh, it is not fun, and it does seem unfair at the moment. But if you remain faithful, if you persevere, it, as it says here, if you, can, if you are patient in continuing in well-doing, you'll have a reward. You may not realize that reward on this side of life, but you'll certainly realize that reward in the next. Um, again, I, and, I, and I don't, out of respect for brother and sister Bill, I won't um, go too deeply into this. But if you know their circumstances, things that they've gone through, boy, I don't want to get emotional because um, I can't imagine it, to be honest with you. Um, to have buried three children. Mm -hmm. I've got three. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine hmm, the pain, the anguish, mm -hmm. the despair. The list goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. My mom has told me many times, and, and I understand now where, what she means by this. She said, if anything were to happen to you or your sisters, mm -hmm. I don't know if I'd be able to make it. Right. And I, I completely agree. I hear it. Mm -hmm. I understand that. <laughs> I don't know how I'd be able to do it. Mm -hmm. But I look at you and Brother Bill, and I see how, if I were in that same situation, how I'd be able to do it. Mm -hmm. And I see all that to say this. That, that those moments where you suffered are a blessing to me. Mm -hmm. Now you may say, how is that? That doesn't compute, Brother Garner. Because I've able, I was able to see how you got through all of that. And you did it, you know, entirely still focused on God. You didn't curse God and die. Mm -hmm. There are times I'm sure you wanted to curse, mm -hmm. but you didn't. And maybe you did, and God allowed you to repent. I don't know. But I, I, I've seen through your actions how someone can overcome the tragedy of burying a child. Mm -hmm. 
And so that gives me confidence to know that if that grave circumstance were to occur to me, how I might be able to do that, how I might be able to survive. That is the ultimate purpose of the Old Testament Scripture. Is for us to look back and say, I don't know if I could go through that. I don't know if I could not curse God and die. But go back and read about Job and read about Jacob and Esau, Rachel, and all of the, the turmoil and, and all the things that happened. And you can, you can see how you would be able to overcome through the power of God. When I go through rough times, it's a lesson and a blessing for you. Just as it's a lesson and a blessing for me. I look at Brother People Jr., and, and out of respect, I'm not going to go into the details. But from what I know, you've been through some things. Mm-hmm. I look at Brother and Sister Marzette, who were almost killed in a car accident. Mm-hmm. And, who, and, and again, without a, with due respect, I won't go into details. But I think I couldn't have gone through all of that. I couldn't have gone through you went through. I couldn't have gone through you went through. Hopefully my kids will look at all the lessons of you all and and Heather and I and say, I don't know if I could have gone through that, but I know having seen that if it's possible for them to get through it, I can get through it. And it is only through the goodness of God that he has blessed us to experience these trials of tribulations and share them one to another to give us confidence in our own lives. All glory... All glory be to God. And you're right, brother, brother people. That is truly a blessing. Now, if everything were good in everybody's life, and one of my kids went through a rough patch, they'd be doomed to failure. Am I right? They would be. They wouldn't know how to handle it. Go ask a child from a rich, affluent family who faces adversity for the first time. They lose their minds because they just don't, they're not equipped. They don't have the experiences. They don't have good examples. And that's how good times can rotten, maybe not your life, it can rotten the next generation. See, I'll say this, that God is good. He is always good. And if we keep in mind that God is good, as long as I'm serving Him, as long as I'm, as it says, patient and continuing in well-doing, if I um, invest in serving God, seeking His kingdom and His kingdom first, as it says in the book of Matthew, the sixth chapter, everything's going to work out because God is good. Don't get focused on the SOME. Don't get so wrapped up in this concept where life has to be fair for you. It's under no obligation to make sense. And it's not under any obligation to be fair. But God is good. And He is righteous. He will always take care of His children. And if you're going through a rough time, my mom always says, if I... if If I didn't love you, I wouldn't be spanking your butt right now. That never 
made sense to me when I was a child because that was not fair. How can you love me and be spanking my butt? And I've gotten some whoppers. So much so I couldn't sit down to eat. Those were some whoppers. But having raised my own children, I understand that that was absolutely fair. And that was, even in that moment where it was painful, all glory be to God that she spanked my butt every single day. Because I wouldn't be the man who's standing here before you today. And that's why I do it to my kids. They may say it's not fair. I do it because I love you. That's not fair. <laughs> right? I don't, want to, I don't want to belabor the point. But the lesson is yours. If you're here this morning and you need prayers of God, there's something in your life that you need to get right. You can get that right this morning. You can come to Him with a repentant heart and ask Him for forgiveness. Thank you, everybody, um, for your time and attention.